0: illumination together. O oh God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear, and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Word of God from Matthew eighteen twenty-one 21-35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and went out and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the, jail, the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to, to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So ends the reading of God's word. Please read together. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever.
1: Well, good morning. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors. Actually, now, it's hard to get used to that with Robin having gone. I am, I guess, the pastor at King's Church now. Um, So it's good to see you all be with you. We are uh, continuing this series, We Are Family, and talking about this idea that as a church, our vision is to really lean into that idea of being family. And all that that entails. And so uh, since September we've been uh, taking a, a biblical survey of all uh, the elements, um, the theological foundations of that, but also trying to look at some of the practical aspects of what it means to be a church family. And uh, last week we looked at confrontation and how uh, confrontation is a healthy expression of being family, that it's hard Uh, But it's an essential part of it. And today, uh, with confrontation uh, comes forgiveness. And forgiveness is also uh, an essential component of of a family, a church family, and how we relate to each other. In our passage, Peter asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I want you to notice there that Peter uses that phrase brother. There he's talking about family dynamics. Uh, One of the things Jesus teaches us is how we relate to our enemies. Uh, Sometimes it's easier to forgive your enemy than it is to forgive your brother or sister. Sometimes family is harder to forgive because we expect more from them. Now... I think this is an important topic for us to talk about because I hope you all will be able to implement it by forgiving me (laughs) because I know as your pastor, I'm going to do things. uh, I'm going to sin against you. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to disappoint you. And so this is important for us to get a hold of and to wrestle with. uh, And and I'm going to give you plenty of opportunities to apply it. In your relation to me as your pastor and forgiving me. But you're also going to be able to apply it in your relationships with one another. You're going to be hurt. You're going to hurt one another. And so how you relate, how you forgive each other is essential to us growing as family. Uh, This isn't uh, a command to try not to sin against one another. Uh, This is a goal of, we are going to sin against one another as family. What do we do when it happens? And Peter's response to his own question is interesting. Uh, Peter, even in asking the question, gives Jesus what Peter hopes is an impressive response where Peter says, are we to forgive as many as seven times? Now, teachers of the law, the religious types in Jesus' day, uh, the Pharisees, uh, the teachers of the law, would have said that three times was an impressive number for the number of times you were to forgive someone. That would have been the common understanding. Now, Peter is trying to impress Jesus here by offering seven times Peter not only doubles it, he adds one more and says, are we to forgive seven times? The assumption here, uh, the natural inclination of the flesh, whether it's one time, three times, or seven times, is that people eventually will get what they deserve, that people deserve a response based on their actions. Whether you forgive once, three times, or seven times, it's really just delaying the outcome. Peter just moves the ball a little further down the field. But Peter is open to the idea that in the end, really your actions... Determine what you receive when it comes to forgiveness. That in the end, it really is about what you merit, what you deserve. That in the end, forgiveness really should have limitations. And that seems like a very normal, acceptable approach. That there should be a limit to forgiveness. I think most of us can accept that and agree with that, and we live out of that understanding. It feels right. Somebody wrongs you, I'll forgive them. Somebody, That same person wrongs you again, yeah, I guess I'll forgive them. Somebody keeps, that same person keeps sinning against you, it sounds unreasonable to continue to forgive. At some point, you feel like you have to draw a line in the sand. You don't want to be a punching bag, and just take one offense after another, after another, after another. It sounds unreasonable. And maybe part of it is we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness really is. What I think we need to clarify is that forgiveness, first of all, is not the same thing as denial. I think that's how many of us Operate when it comes to forgiveness. We overlook, we ignore, we pretend that the offense didn't really happen. And that's often how we operate when it comes to conflict or difficult relationships among family. And after a while, ignoring an offense just develops bitterness and anger within the individual. And the idea of Doing that time and time and time again, it is unreasonable. That's because that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not denial or ignoring what's happened. And it's interesting, with denial comes this idea of not doing something with your actions and yet your heart still being vengeful and angry, and upset. And did you notice that in Jesus' parable at the end, Jesus commands us to forgive from the heart. So the type of forgiveness we're talking about here is something that happens on the inside as well as on the outside. But the other thing that we should know about forgiveness is that forgiveness is not the same thing as trusting. Trusting. This is an important point to make. And I can, I can bet that for many of you, you're, you're giving a big sigh of relief. Forgiveness is not the same as trusting. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness depends on the person doing the forgiving. Reconciliation also involves the person who has done the sinning to forgive someone is not to immediately trust them because if someone sins against you time and time again there does come a point in time when you have to use wisdom and discernment in whether it's wise to put yourself in situations where you're exposing yourself to harm And so to forgive someone depends on you and your relationship with God. But reconciliation requires repentance on the other party. And we also should make the point that with forgiveness, there are still consequences that come from the person's actions. For example, you can forgive someone, but still establish a line, a boundary, some sort of consequence to how that person relates to you in some way. If we look at King David's example, if you remember the story of what King David did, adultery, murder, terrible things. The prophet Nathan confronts David. David repents and God forgives him. And yet, there were still consequences to David's sin. The child that David had with Bathsheba died. And so we see there were still consequences to his sin, even though he was forgiven. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, puts it this way, that we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. It's an important distinction. And I think it helps us consider the possibility of what forgiveness is. Because for the Christian, forgiveness is an act of unlimited mercy. Unlimited mercy. We often, as human beings, operate on a merit system. You get what your actions deserve. Jesus through the kingdom of God, is offering a different paradigm by which we relate to one another. Jesus says in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus essentially, by saying 77 times, is effectively saying infinite, unlimited, that there is no cap on the number of times you are to forgive Your brother. The simplest way we can understand Jesus' command here is Jesus is telling us to never, ever give up on anyone. Never, ever give up on anyone. And that we should not treat people the way they deserve. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not living out the gospel. Now, why is this important? Why is Jesus talking about this? Well, Jesus explains the importance of it by giving this parable, this story of a king who forgives his servant. But that forgiven servant withholds forgiveness from a fellow servant. And so the king calls the unforgiven servant back and he confronts him And this is what we're told that the king says. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And notice what the king does. In anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is why this is so important. Our eternal destiny is at stake. Notice the jailer here. If you could see the Greek, you would see that the jailer is actually a torturer. That's the Greek word used here. There were jailers responsible for torturing the prisoners. And so this servant is to be tortured until he could pay back the debt. And what Jesus is showing us here is that an unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment. Let that sink in for a moment. Now, does this mean Jesus is saying that Forgiveness is a requirement for salvation. That in order to get to heaven, you have to forgive. It's some sort of bar you have to jump over. And that's not what Jesus is telling us here. What Jesus is showing us through this parable is that a forgiving heart is evidence of a redeemed heart. That a forgiving heart shows that you have been touched by the gospel and transformed and that the Spirit of God lives within you. A forgiving heart is the fruit of the transformation that happens when you come into a relationship with Jesus. That's what Jesus is showing us here. And so if you are a person who does not forgive, there there is an eternal consequence that you need to see and you need to be aware of and you need to be warned of. And that's what Jesus wants you to hear this morning. But the reality is that it's not just a future consequence. That an unforgiving heart is a present, a present experience. A prison that each and every one of us can feel and experience even today. A prison we experience. One, one author described it this way. That unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping others will die. Hoping others will, will die. And unforgiveness, unfortunately, here, here's what's tricky about it. Unforgiveness, it's fun. It's attractive. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because we as human beings, we enjoy the position of, be, of being in that position where you can forgive or not forgive. Forgive. Really, it goes back to that idea and concept that ultimately we want to be the king. We want to be the king on the throne in the parable. We want to be the king who pronounces judgment, to who is able to punish or forgive. We want to be in that seat. That's what we desire. That's at the heart of our flesh, our sinfulness. You see, and that's why... This sin of unforgiveness is so offensive to God... because when we want that place of power and control... we are effectively saying we want to be God. And Frederick Bickner uh, describes it by talking about this idea of anger. And listen to how he talks about how attractive it is to be in that position. Well, he uses anger. He talks about anger, but I think it, we could put unforgiveness in there as well. He says, "...of the deadly, seven deadly sins..." Anger is possibly the most fun, to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And so not only is Jesus warning you of your eternal condemnation, he is trying to warn you of the present day consequences of an unforgiving heart. In the prison that it puts us in, if we're unwilling to model the king in this parable, God offers us freedom from this prison and freedom from this poison. And what we have to admit is that we desire it. We want the poison. We want the prison because it feels good. And that is the challenge that Jesus is giving us here. And Jesus shows us that the path to freedom is through the experience of the forgiveness that God gives us. Notice that the king forgives the servant Of this tremendous debt, we're told in verse 24 that when the king began to settle, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. And 10,000 talents would have been 60 million denarii, which is kind of like saying a zillion dollars. It's like a zillion dollars. It is an unbelievable sum. If you want to kind of visually imagine it, if you've seen The Hobbit, you know um, when Bilbo goes into the, the cave and the, all the treasure is there. That's kind of the amount of money we're talking about. That's what the servant owed the king. It's a tremendous amount. And this is the great The first great truth of the gospel that each and every one of us have to recognize that this is the debt that we owe God. This big cavern full of treasure. That's how much debt we owe God. That's our sin. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, to use this language of debt when talking of sin. That might be surprising to you, but it's a very helpful illustration. If you have, uh, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you know that sometimes in the Lord's Prayer, for example, in Matthew, in chapter six, the Lord's Prayer goes like this: "Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors." Same concept as the parable: sin is viewed as a debt. If you were to go to Luke, there in Luke, it goes like this. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Sin and debt are similar concepts and ideas. And so then you need to ask the question, well, what is it that we owe God? And this is what the Bible tells us is that we owe God everything. That you owe God complete and total Love and obedience. And that is a debt that you can't pay. Because in your fallenness, in your sin, it's a lost cause. You cannot even hope to meet that standard and pay that debt. And the servant here in the story hasn't understood that. You see in verse 26, notice his response. The servant falls on his knees and implores the king, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. He's clueless. <laughs> he does not understand his situation. If he really understood the situation, he would have fallen on his knees and told the king, Forgive me, I can't pay it. I throw myself on your mercy. There is no way I can pay this debt, but not this man, because this man operated on a system of you get what your actions deserve. He operates on a system of self-righteousness, self-generated righteousness, this idea that it really is about how you live, and that we can pay God back the debt by being a good person, by straightening out our lives, by doing things right. And what Jesus wants us to see is "That's, that's not possible. We can't do it. And so a heart transformed by the gospel is a heart that despairs of ever paying the debt. It's a heart that recognizes that the debt is too huge. That our debt to God is like that cavern full of treasure. And that we have no hope of ever paying it back. But notice the response of the king. And Jesus is showing us here the heart of our Father in heaven when in verse 27, that out of pity for his servant, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. We're told that the sovereign here was moved with compassion. And that word there for pity or compassion, all the other places where we see it in Matthew, it's used of Jesus. It's used of Jesus's heart towards people, of the compassion, the pity that Jesus has for us. And when we see how God models that, this is the key for us in forgiving other people, that we are called to model God by displaying that kind of pity, that kind of compassion for people that we must forgive. We will never get to a place where we'll be able to model God's forgiveness until we first when thinking about a relationship where someone has has wronged us, being able to identify with that person, being able to put ourselves in their shoes, being able to have compassion on that individual. That's the key step. I mean, notice how the, the unforgiving servant responds after he's forgiven this tremendous debt. We're told that the other servant comes along, and this servant only owes the man 100 denarii. That's about four working months' wages. And instead of stopping and, and identifying with this fellow servant, seeing his state, having experienced forgiveness, instead, he chokes the man. And that feels so good. He chokes the man. He wants to get revenge. He wants to get what's owed him. He wants justice. Even though he's just experienced unlimited mercy. And so we must see, we must see, if we're to be the kind of people that model the Father's heart, we must see this debt that we owe. And that has to be the power source for our forgiveness. It really is the key for Christians in how our forgiveness really should be distinctive and, and be surprising to the world. Because we see the debt we've been released of, we can then release others of the debt that they owe us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness involves canceling the debt that people owe us. And what's beautiful in this story is that the king himself pays the debt. The servant worked for him. The servant might have been responsible for the finances of the kingdom, and maybe he mismanaged those finances, or maybe he was corrupt in using the finances. But for the king to forgive the servant doesn't mean that poof, magically, no one was affected by it. The king could just say, you're forgiving, and then everybody goes along on their way. For the king to forgive that servant means the king had to absorb that cost. That means his kingdom did not have those resources that it previously had that the servant owed him. And so the king absorbed it instead of requiring it from his servant. And see, this is the beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? That our king absorbed our debt on the cross. This is how we're encouraged to see it. We're encouraged to see that forgiveness is always costly. Forgiveness always costs something. It is not something we can just simply ignore. It is not something that is easily given. I have a friend that I meet with, he's not a Christian, he's, he's a, a wonderful man, and I've really enjoyed developing a friendship with him, and we, we talk about, our, I talk about my Christian faith, I talk about the gospel, and we were talking about, you know, God's forgiveness, and he really struggled with this idea first that we owe God anything, and in some ways he was playing devil's advocate, but I think there was a hint of truth there for him, struggling with this idea that we would owe God anything, why would God be such a tyrant? Why would God be so arrogant as to think that? Those kinds of things. But then when it comes to forgiveness, he would say, well, why doesn't God just forgive? Why Why would Jesus have to go to the cross? Why couldn't he just wave his wand and forgive us? And see, that's a misunderstanding of what forgiveness involves. I like to, um, every once in a while, play outside in the front yard with my boys. We play wiffle ball, right? Teddy and Carter love to play wiffle ball with us. And, um, you know, I'm a little scared when we go out and play wiffle ball because sometimes when you hit the wiffle ball, you don't know where it's going to go and we live close to other neighbors. And a few times, that wiffle ball will go screaming off the bat and hit my neighbor's nice Camaro, and I run over there and I check if there's a scratch or a dent or anything. And there, there hasn't been. But what if there was? What if there was? And I had to go to my neighbor and say, Come here, Marty, i got to show you this. See this dent. That was our fault. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for it. You can get it fixed. We'll pay for it. But if Marty, my neighbor, were to say, No, I forgive you. Does the dent just go away? No. No. Marty by forgiving in that scenario would either pay for it himself or he would live with the dent. His nice new car with this little dent in it. He would have to, it would be costly for him to forgive. And it is costly for us when we forgive. And that is the what is so beautiful about the gospel is the cost of forgiveness for us that God gave his son so that we could experience that freedom and now we are called to give that freedom to others that through us people would begin to taste the father's mercy because we forgive without limitations And so we see these three aspects of forgiveness in the king, modeled in the king. First, we see that the king takes pity on the servant. And then we see the king cancels the debt. And then we see the king releases the servant. And I think we get a a good picture of what forgiveness could look like for us and how we might practice it. Now, here's the reality As C.S. Lewis put it, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. And that's really when it gets hard. And it seems impossible. You know, a similar story takes place in Luke's gospel in chapter 17. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You know what the apostle's response was? Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) Because if you really begin to understand what forgiveness involves, that's really the only response is you cry out for help. You cry out for help, and that's, I think, where Jesus wants us right now as we really wrestle with this, to cry out, Jesus, increase our faith. Because it's got to be a work of the Spirit. It's got to be a work of the Spirit in you and in me. But the other picture we see in here that I'll mention real quick as we end, and the band can come up, is that there's, a, there's family accountability involved in this process. Did you notice that The other servants noticed how the unforgiving servant didn't forgive. And what what do they do? They go to the king. I think we're supposed to connect that element with our sermon from last week. The confrontation. I think here you have the servants are kind of like family. And that family holds each other accountable. And, And I think you and I hold each other accountable when it comes to our willingness to forgive each other. And if we see situations where forgiveness isn't happening, we as family can begin that process of confrontation we talked about last week. And so there's some hope in that, I think. There's there's hope knowing that God has implemented a system to help us because He knows our weakness and He knows how hard it is. And so I think we can take real comfort in that. And it's my prayer that we would begin to implement that, even in today, as we relate to one another as family. Let me pray for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for uh, this passage on forgiveness. I pray that as we begin to let this settle in our hearts and our minds, uh, and as we think about implementing this in our in our rhythms and routines as a church family, help us, Lord Jesus, through your spirit. We need you. We need you to even begin to know how to do this, to have the power and the resources to do this. The reality is, Lord, we will sin against each other. But would you, Lord Jesus, reveal your glory through us as we begin to reflect the wonderful good news of the gospel in the ways that we love and forgive one another. We pray for that reality to be present today for your glory. Amen.